Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. All right, we're on the air. Coming to you live from the internet. Um, hey, I got a shout out. I, mm-hmm. I feel like we haven't done shout outs in a long time. We haven't. One, okay, there, we recently got the best review on iTunes I've ever seen. Okay. Oh, gosh. I can't, yeah, I can't remember who it's by, but the subject line is best podcast. And then the, the actual comment section is just a period. <laughs> I saw that. So good. Yeah, that's very good. Love that. Um, then the second one is for a buddy, Ben Frain, who's a longtime listener. I think he listened when we put out like the first demo episodes way, mm-hmm. way, 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 way back in the day. But he's a longtime family friend. And apparently he, he still listens after like seven years of this. Um, not again, not sure why, but shout out to Ben Frain and his wife, Kristen, and their new baby. They just had a, a beautiful little baby. Um, got to see some photos of, of the little baby yesterday. So shout out to you, Ben. God bless you, man. Nice. Was it Ben that wrote the review? No, that was an, it was a non sequitur. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Both good shout outs. I love that review. I wonder if people are going to review your new microphone now, Juice. Because you do sound sound like silk, dude. Man. Mm. Connor, I know you're just saying that so that I'll buy a fancier (laughs) microphone. (laughs) No, no. I'm just giving Juice a compliment. Way to to really invest in this podcast. (laughs) I respect that and appreciate it. I really take ownership. Don't do this to me. Yeah. Look, just send me a link of what you want me to buy, okay? <laughs> and I'll buy it. <laughs> mm. Mm-mm. A little coffee, a little morning. A little morning cast. This is early. Yeah. yeah this is an early one. Just get But we're doing a here. I'm doing a holy hour with the missionaries now to start the day. Oh, nice. They're doing their NST on campus. Cool. So we're doing we're doing a holy hour in the morning. Which means an early cast. Early cast. Are you missionaries down there yet? Yeah, I guess that's my shout out today to um, to the missionaries. They're awesome. They're really awesome. Mine are just so so. Now they're great. <laughs> shout out to mine as well. Hmm. Hmm. I have no. I don't have any missionaries. What? You're just by yourself. You don't even have a pastor. Oh, shoot. Okay, so my pastor, he is just taking a little time to recuperate right now. Um, he had a little bit of an operation, and uh, thanks be to God, it was successful. It was really good. But because of that, I've taken over uh, basically all the duties at the parish. And, you know, I, <laughs> for a long time leading up to this moment, I would tell everybody that and then would kind of make this joke like, yeah. And then my first job or my first task as pastor is going to be to fire the pastor. And, you know, I'd say it obviously jokingly, but that 
everyone would look at me and be like, what? You can't fire him. <laughs> he's, he's getting off surgery. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not actually going to fire him. You know, I'm just, I just, you know, playing with you, you know? And then, and then my second task is going to be to buy a bunch of flat screen TVs. And they look at me and they're like, Oh, just for everybody, dude. Oh. I'm going to be so loved. Like, You'd be like, Oprah, <laughs> you get a flat screen. You get a flat screen. <laughs> yeah. And then they look at me and they're like, that's not financially savvy. And I'm like, I'm going to just play along. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, fire funny. the bastard. <laughs> Horrible. Mm. Mm. I'm going fishing uh, pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, next week. Where are you going fishing at? We're driving out to an undisclosed location. Oh, in no. the oh okay. So like a big fishing trip. Okay, yeah. cool. I thought you were just mm-hmm. going fishing today sometime. Oh, that would be nice, but no. Mm. No, I don't think fishing's on the, lo- on the list of essential things. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. We can do what we want, but um, yeah, driving out with some buddies. It's the, it's the yearly yearly trip beyond the power lines. Nice, man. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm looking forward to it very much. Very cool. Yeah. How was, uh, you were at Nebraska. Can I say that? Shoot. Yeah. That- <laughs> yeah. Nebraska's <laughs> legit. Yeah. Yeah. I went and saw. Yeah. It's out of my mouth. I can't take it back. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nice, it was great. <clears throat> Nebraska's a very disclosed location because it's, uh, Scott Harder's county has two cases of, of coronavirus but both of which the people have recovered mm. and uh boy they're living they're living the life out there mm. we rode horses at a ranch we sailed this boat we uh wow, he's got a boat cool yeah he's got a sailboat and it's it's a big boat it takes it, there were four of us helping and none of us super competent although nick blaha is very competent in all things outdoors and adventure um but me and Tom Byrne were just kind of hustling along, untying ropes whenever we were told to. Uh, but it was, it was fun. He's like, it's like a 19 foot boat with a cabin and stuff. And oh wow, a main mast and a jib. We were cruising. Y'all got a jib on there? Yeah, we had to jib, <laughs> the, ma- we had to jib the main beam several times. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, we hove to. We did it all cool that's awesome yeah he's got a big oh. reservoir uh like 15 20 minutes away from his parish they dammed up the river years ago and it's like a little state park it was nice people recreating it was like the before times mm. remember mm. the before times kind of not so much yeah i don't remember what are you speaking of <laughs> i'm reading a really good uh book got a book rack for you do tell if you're interested so yeah. uh, it's a uh have you ever heard of mother elvira and i think it's called the chinacolo community it could be pronounced differently you ever heard of this community i can't say that i have i yeah. i have rob i've heard of them have you mike have you um well let yeah. me tell so they um <laughs> <laughs> yeah a friend yeah, I recommended a little while ago. I read this book on Mother Elvira, and it's like, I don't know, 
autobiography slash more just her like reflecting on God's providence of the start of this community. She's Italian and she was a sister and she just wanted to, she just wanted to serve youth. Um, that's what she wanted to do. And for like 10 years, this is on her heart. And she finally got permission from her order to go. And I think it was her and one other sister. And they acquired this abandoned house, like on the outskirts of town, totally dilapidated and just start fixing it up. And sure enough, then people start hearing that there's a sister that has this house and just through like, there was really no plan, it seemed like. And she talks about how, especially uh, kids, like young, really young adults that, and men at first, now they um, serve women as, as well that are addicted to drugs, just start showing up. But this was the line that got me. I've been praying with this for, for days. But she was talking about, so the, the community is like brand new at this point. It's not even a community yet. It's just her. And she's standing at the gate one day. And this young guy comes up to the gate. And how she describes him is he's just totally like abandoned by his family. You know, you can tell has just been kind of destroyed by drug addiction. And she says that she looked into his eyes and she isn't like an eloquent woman. She's not a, an educated woman, anything like that. But this came from her heart. And she said, I've been waiting for you and you have finally arrived. And then she smiled at him. And like, that's, I kind of read that as like their charism. That's how they greet every person that they meet now. Incredible. I've been waiting for you and you finally arrived. Yeah. I was like, man, if you do that, if you were, if you would actually just encounter every person that you meet with that line, then you'd be a saint. Yeah, that's wild. So the community grew. Oh yeah. They're in like 70 countries. Um, now and yeah, they, I mean, they serve just fascinating stories, man. She won't take money from, from parents of kids that come to their community. And because she said that's pretty common of, you know, it's not uncommon at least for, you know, I, I read it's like, you know, these 20 year olds or something like that to be like just pretty much destroying their lives with, with drugs. But she says it's not uncommon for, for them to have come from pretty wealthy families oftentimes. So the parents will call or get a hold of her and be like, listen, what can I, what can I pay you, you know, to, to help my son? Cause they've heard how effective these communities are and they're just full literally of like prayer and really hard work is all they do. Um, and she refuses to take the money from the parents, but she'll talk to them and say, the price of your son's life is your conversion. And she pretty much just tells the parents that like they need to, to have a conversion in their own life. Like That's what will help their son or daughter. And it, it's wild stuff, man. I'm blown away by this wow. book. So we can get into, I mean, either of those, there's a few other things that were big movements of, of the heart with it. But I'm reading this book, and it's like, man, this is... I don't know if this will make sense, but I'm reading it and like what they have lived and what they do and just her vocabulary and language. It's like, this is what 
Pope Francis is talking about, or like this is the spirit of the church right now of what I kind of see as the Holy Spirit, like asking people to do and, and live like, I mean, it's just continually blowing. I'm almost done. I'll probably finish it today or, or tomorrow. Um, and it's just this like little sister that got a dilapidated house because she wanted to serve the youth, man. And we just let go and did it. A uh, couple things. What's the book called again? It's called The Embrace of God's Mercy. Embrace I'll text of God's it Mercy. to you. Yeah. Um, well, one, I want to hear what, why you think it's what Pope Francis is talking about, or just to make that connection more full. But the first thing I, I thought of was... Um, I don't know. There's something in me when you when you said that line, you finally arrived. Um, there was a little bit of anxiety in me because you like you like don't know who this person is. They clearly have some problems, um, and especially with things like addiction or mental illness, um, there can be a like I, I have learned you need boundaries, you know, because there's plenty of people that come to your door. If you receive them and you're like, you know, have no boundary, um, I'll do anything for you. I'll give you money, whatever. Um, sure. It's very easy to get sucked into the vortex and be manipulated and um, to just welcome any anybody that walks up that's got a drug problem and say, like, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine is risky. Um, I imagine that this Mother Elvira, though, leads with that mercy but there's got to be, when you talk about the hard work, I'm like, okay, there's probably a, a huge amount of discipline and expectation of like, if you live, if you live here, you know, like you belong here, you're welcome, but this is what's expected, you know? Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. cause I could see, I could see that just being, you know, you, you, you have a productive, healthy community going centered on Jesus, centered on prayer and work and one bad apple comes in you know it can kind of obviously they're not allowed to do drugs when they're there I'm, i assume um right you'd be kicked out or something but to, just like that maintaining the boundaries yet having that openness must be key to that i would think um, yeah but i think it's also i guess i read it way more as like the interior state of her of whether or not she yeah i think they're they're extremely strict in how they live how i read it anyway of like it's it's very very tough and like there's no judgment or anything if you can't do it or or don't want to stay or anything like that but i don't know i i think there's definitely something to that line oh for sure at least at least for me of like whether or not she allows them to stay or has them in or what she does after that to actually be able to encounter somebody like truthfully in that way, that's not easy to do, man. No. Like you think about how many opportunities you have to do that throughout a day. And it's like, gosh, that's very, very hard to, to do. So I didn't read it like as her, her talking about, I think they did like welcome that, that young man in, in the story that she she told but you know I, and they probably don't turn very many people away honestly but uh 
but I didn't read her as saying like, oh no, just, you know, let anybody do anything at, at all. But just think of it like that line, like the next time, I don't know, you, you literally have a minute conversation with someone randomly at like the grocery store or something like that. Not that that happens anymore. Um, but in theory, mm-hmm. anyway, of like just to be able to kind of see the world correctly, like in God's providence. Right. Like I've been, could you actually say that, of man, I've been waiting for this person and they they're finally here. And then you can just let go. Maybe you're only have to, supposed to have like a one minute interaction with them. Right. But th- like everything has been orchestrated in Providence to to come to this one moment. Like that's why you're alive. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, it's just I guess it's it's hard for that reason, too, because. I don't know, people. It's it's exposing a weakness or it's making yourself vulnerable to the to people in the world. You know, um, there's a reason people go through the world and just sort of like don't embrace the stranger or, you know, the person who just comes up to you and welcome and to welcome them as Christ because it's risky. Um, it's easier to just kind of like, okay, I know these people. Sure. I know I can basically trust them, but um, even if it's a one minute thing, uh, that generosity, that openness to people makes you vulnerable, I think. Spiritually, financially, emotionally, everything. You know what I mean? Um, it's a, it's a more open, open-eyed it's a, way it, to go through the life, to, to go through life, but it's not easy. It's not easy. Would you say it's, it's good or bad? I think it's good. I, okay. I think I want to do that, but it's... Uh, it's learning how to do that in a way where you're you're not just this porous personality like you still have an identity yourself a self to give i guess that's what i'm what i'm thinking about is just like as a priest you you guys know this like you can become everybody's instrument and um i don't know just these last couple of weekends, I've finally been back out in parishes and saying masses and it's, it's nice, but it's really weird. Um, all the masks and the, you know, 20% capacity and, and people coming up afterwards and asking if they can go to confession and like, we're not allowed to use the confessional. So we got to find a, a spot to stand. And, um, it's, it feels good again to be a priest. Actually, a couple of days ago, I went and did my first anointing in a really long time. It was a, patient with uh covid at the hospital and their family a couple of family members were there but they weren't allowed to go in the room with me and i had to wear all this ppe and everything um used a swab to anoint her and um yeah it was very it's really heartbreaking um these people had to stand outside the room and look through the glass. And then they had a bunch of family members in Mexico on zoom, uh, by the bedside and the woman was on a respirator and it was harrowing, but, um, it was really good to be a priest and to like go up to a hospital to random strangers and immediately have this way of, of giving, 
you know what I mean? Uh, they were very, very grateful. This was the first occasion that these two were even allowed up to the floor of the ICU to see their mom since she'd been up there. Mm. And uh, it was just because it was end of life and last rites, basically, that they were allowed to even see her through glass. So I felt like in my in that moment, I, you know, it's not about me, really, but my experience of it was like an, an openness of heart, like where I just I just felt a spontaneous love for these people as a priest. And um, that's very life giving. But there's also the times in the in the life of a priest, I think, where you you sort of feel used, um, where you don't feel like that that same freedom and spontaneous generosity where it's like yeah god has put you in my life and me and yours and this is i'm I'm open to this moment i'm open to you um it's more like you know i feel like you know that i'm a christian i'm a priest and that i i will feel guilty if i don't do this for you and so you kind of use that you know or you take advantage of that that soft spot in me and then you can feel a certain resentment and bitterness and so you learn to put up some boundaries and say like, you know, this appointment's not going for more than an hour because I know you could talk for five, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I'm. I don't think I'm being cynical, but I, although I think it can probably come off that way, but I, I think ideally, the um, that Mother Teresa thing, like that, people would always say it's like you're the only person in the world when you're talking to her, you know, or this Mother Elvira that sentiment that it's true that god this moment has been ordained by god and his providence that finally you've walked up to this door and i've met you and you are jesus but it's i guess the gospel is just really costly you know what i mean um if you really believe that and, and i do it just means your life is not about you and you have to give it away no matter no matter if people are grateful for it, no matter if people receive the gift well, no matter if you're rejected, you know, and that's that's just scary. Well, hey, I got a question, and this is for both of you guys. How how do you think you can come to a place in your own life where you live where you live that way in front of in front of people, or like how do you think Mother Elvira? got to a place where that's how she actually saw each person and saw the world. Um, Cause like you said, it is very costly. And so it's not, that's not the immediate reaction that we have towards other people um, because experience shows us otherwise, but the gospel pushes against that and asks us to give, to give ourselves, you know, like that beautiful line from mother Alvira to the parents, the cost of your son's life is your conversion or your, your child's life is your conversion, AKA the cost of your child's life is your life. Mm. And so how, like, I don't know, how do y'all think that she lives that way? I mean, what, what does it say in the book, Rob, about her, her ability to risk herself for the sake of the other? Yeah, that's a great, Good question. And I think her, I mean, she kind of keeps talking about over and over again. Um, and, you know, like if you knew her that, I mean, there would be ways to like, 
flesh it out and nuance and hear her story in a different way than reading a book. So you don't want to read into like a book like this with a, a hagiography of like, oh my gosh, she's like never mad at anyone or anything like that, you know, or like worried about overstretching herself because um, I'm sure she is. But yeah, I mean, I guess just reading it, you're like, whoa, there's something moving about her of she really seems like i mean who who knows i've never met her but she seems like just a saint a saint pretty living pretty pretty radically of there seems to be zero self-conscious conscience in her of like she just does she lives this way and she laughs like at a couple different points of the book about how she's never planned like anything in her life and that she talks about like lady providence that's how she talks about uh god's providence of like different mistakes they've made and but like different things that they've they've done to now have all these houses that have the capacity to serve like i mean the way i read it and again i don't have any firsthand experience with one of the the houses but like maybe some of the most effective um places for uh young drug addicts in in the world that can can go there and like get called to actual conversion and then not but that's not even that's not even the like getting over a drug addiction isn't the point in her in her mind at least from reading the the book so i don't know that's just yeah so hey what is the point there conversion yeah like that's it is just the way i read it anyway it's as simple as that is like they just do this because this is where the lord is in their life and kind of whatever happens is great then Hmm. and they just have this freedom to be like authentic and honest and um so I don't know. I mean, how do you do it? There's something to that, and I don't have words on it yet. Um, and I'm sure, again, like there's no doubt that there in in moments she does have like, you know, doubt or self consciousness or whatever. But man, like at least reading her her words and how moving they are is like, I just she she does not worry about herself like very much at all. Um, and I don't know how you get there. I mean, that's a yeah. great question. Maybe that's a question too, of you guys have any insights there. Um, but I, th- I at least find it like the appeal still very, very moving. For sure. I, I think, uh, I would love to not worry about myself or, or anything, especially, especially now with, uh, you know, you just never know what's going to happen in a month or three months or what the year's going to hold and um, stuff like that. I think in circumstances like these where the future is so unplannable, that that's such a value of of having that kind of relationship with God and his providence. You're just sure like, well, yeah, I can't plan anything anyway. You know, it's all it's all up to God to build this house. I'm just a a builder, you know, I'm just like a helper and God's doing some grand work that, um, 
I'm privileged to be a part of, and that's that's the fun of it. And the, and the object is not really to build this house; it's to it's to get us all building together and save our souls, uh, so that we can you know surrender our will to the will that actually has our final good in mind. Because we, anytime you make plans, you're just by necessity because you're a creature, you can't see the whole thing, and you you start to mistake the means for the end. Um, but I don't know. The, the only reason I'm, I'm pushing a little bit is cause I, I don't live that way, you know? And, uh, like I do try to try to make some plans and, and organizations, missions, communities that I respect and I think are doing God's work also make, you know, one year plans, two year plans, five year plans. Focus is a good example. You know, like they, they're very savvy and, uh, rational with like, what's, what's the best strategy here, you know, to, to do what God's calling us to do. And they're responsive and, and we try to be responsive to the circumstances and, and whatnot. But, uh, if you've ever been around a person like, I I don't, I haven't read this book. I don't know mother Elvira, her story very well, but it sounds to me like, uh, some of the people I've met that are kind of this sort of saintly, like God just provides and that kind of laughing at your, oneself and like I'm just sort of this poor child who God leads around and I don't make plans and God just ends up providing the money we need and the space we need and if you ever work with people like that it's kind of cr- crazy making because you're like yeah but let's have a plan you know and especially <laughs> if you're a prepper like you Rob I imagine yeah. it can be it can be kind of maddening um but they, God does spoil people like that, that just trust, you know, and don't, don't try to be so clever as to like f- plan it out for God and say, God, will you bless my plan now? Um, well, hey, but let I'm me just throw something. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, 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 go on. I was just going to wrap it up. Did you? I interrupted that. That one's on me. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I wonder if... So the way that we're talking about it, it's almost like there's two, only two options. It's like either you don't plan anything and you trust totally in God or you plan everything and you don't have trust in God. Uh, But I, I, obviously there's something more in between that. And I, I think the, the groups and the people that I see who, who plan well in accord with God's will and, and try to actually incorporate God's providence into their plan I, I think they also have this deep trust that God's going to provide, but they're also planning. So like pl- planning isn't necessarily contrary to anything. You know, the gospel doesn't tell us don't plan. Um, but it does say that, you know, every moment is going to be uh, in within the providence and the guidance of God. So I think there's actually something that both of those groups can share in is that you know there there is this deeper trust in the lord there is a deeper trust that oh yeah and a childlikeness you know cuz even children make plans um but there's like a a bigger trust that goes on that i think is maybe the deeper point that connects um you know group like focus and a, and a community like the chinakolo community um that both are radically trusting in god's providence but it just looks different, you know?
You said earlier, Rob, <clears throat> that it, uh, sorry to clear my throat into the microphone, mm -hmm. um, that you think this is what Pope Francis is talking about. What did you, what did you mean by that? I don't, I'm just always, I'll be honest in, you know, I, f several years, it kind of stems back when, um, to a conversation I had with a friend of mine who had joined, uh, she joined, I think the little sisters of the, I think it's the little sisters of the lamb. Um, who are in, they started in France. I think the only place they're in is in Kansas City in the States. Um, but they, I just, I really love their, would probably be like their charism is that they go out and they beg for for food and then they like encounter people as they, um, as they do that. And so it was just, it, I still think back to this conversation with her. It was like, oh my gosh, like, how how she would word it it was just so incredibly like simple and beautiful of like their kind of model of evangelizing is it's it's very specific like when they say encounter someone like it's not it's just nothing that i had like heard before um and she was saying like from her background it it was difficult for her in a way to to learn it even feeling called to to this order because like their goal in it was not like I, I I still have trouble like putting words on it exactly, but it's not even like it's presenting the gospel to the person like through solidarity with them and like sharing a meal with them and not in a way it's not like a thought process of presenting the gospel to them. But it is, it's so, I know that, I know that's like jumbled there. Um, I just don't have very many other words to it. But anyway, so we can talk more about that. But getting like back to the question of they, this particular order, they have I, what I would call like just a very cool loyalty to Pope Francis. He's the one that had brought them to um, Argentina and like they read him very well and everything. And that was during the time. Um, gosh, that was a couple years ago. So it was right around the time that there were all, there was all this stuff like not circulating, but just going around. I think it was a Morris Letizia that, you know, there was so much kind of like, it was kind of like an insular argument in a lot of ways with certain groups about like, Hey, what did he mean when he said this or that and everything? Um, but she just had this one line of, she was like, you know, when people try to read Pope Francis's stuff, a lot of times the response is like, this is kind of basic um, or this or, or that in, in that, like he, he rarely talks like a, a high octane theologian. It's not taking anything away from anybody else's writings, but she just said, and she was like, but if you read him, like you, and you actually try to implement what he says, you realize how like incredibly hard it is to do. But if you were to do it, like you would be a saint. And like, I remember he wrote, it wasn't a, uh, an encyclical or anything, but he wrote a letter on holiness. Gosh, probably two years ago ish. And like, he just talked about in it, like, you know, holiness looks like, like the woman in line at a grocery store smiling at another person. Have you guys read that letter that he wrote on holiness? I think so. Yeah, I have not. I need to read it. Yeah, it's like 
it's just I I just always found that conversation interesting. It stuck with me for two year and a half now since I since she she said that, and it's I think it's kind of getting to the point here of like you it it's recognizing like going back to like just a really really basic point of like yeah encountering the person in front of you in the reality that like God's providence has brought you together. And whether you use the line of Mother Elvira of like, I've been waiting for you and finally you've arrived or whatever else. But like encountering the person in front of you, like God designed this to happen, is extraordinarily hard to do. But if you if that's off, it's like leaving port at just like, you know, one degree off. And I don't know, maybe that's what maybe that's what's kind of moving in my heart is like, no, I'm not. Dude, you guys know I'm a planner. I'm a prepper, not even a planner. I'm a prepper. All right. And, uh, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, if, but if you don't have that, then good luck. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, because it's not going to, it, like, it's, I mean, God will bless it and everything. Um, but all that stuff, I, I don't know. I think back to like just talking like Baron's story. Did Baron ever tell you the story in Doctrine of God, Connor or Mike? Do you remember this? Of when he was writing some book in his office and there was like bugs in his window that moved three or four inches, like yeah, in a ladybugs. Yeah. Lady have you heard do you know the story, Connor? No. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh my gosh. He was just talking about like I mean, his whole his whole thing of like, you know, you can't grasp God and once you once you know what it is, you know it's not God and all that stuff. And just talking about all that. So he's like, Here I am working on this book and plugging away and working really hard. And I noticed these ladybugs in my window one day. And, you know, then I noticed them the next, next day and they're in the exact same spot and they haven't done anything. But then the following day, like the third day, one of them had moved like three inches or something like that. And it was hilarious to hear Baron tell this story because he was like, hey, good for you guys. Like you're moving, <laughs> you know, good for you guys. And he had this reflection of like, no, that's kind of like all these books that I write. Like, that's what God is saying. Like, hey, good for you, buddy. Like, meaning <laughs> not not like condescending, but like, good right. job. Good job, you know? And I, I just think that's, I don't know, there's something there. Like, I think that's more accurate. Um, so that's a little bit long-winded. But that's what I mean of, um, and I, I still think back to that conversation with my friend of like this b- stuff that sounds basic or like, yeah, that's, it's good to say, but like, what does it mean? And everything like that. It's, it's also like really important, at least because I recognize like more and more how hard it is to, to do. But if you're not there with it, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like, it kind of has to, to be essential. Yeah, man. Gaudete et exultate is the letter from a few Rub. years ago. I like that a lot, Rob. Yeah, I guess I guess I still I posed the question and I mean I do have a couple of thoughts on it, but like how do you get to that how how is that possible? Is it possible to live that way? And I think that's what the the saints show us is that the radicality of the gospel it, it actually is uh livable. It it's actually possible. But how do you do that? What are your thoughts? Well, the times that I am 
most healthily self-forgetful is when I, when I trust that God's going to provide for me. When, when I trust that somebody else is taking care of me, which actually gives me the freedom to look outside myself instead of, yeah, because the times where I'm, where I'm most self-focused and do the most navel gazing is when I'm, um, when I'm trying to take care of myself or protect myself or provide for myself. And, and I, I guess I think that's, you know, to the, to the title of her book, um, the merciful embrace of God. Is that what it is? Embracing God's mercy. Close. Embracing God's mercy. Okay. <laughs> Embracing God's mercy. Um, like I, I think if you start from that point, then you can have the freedom to look outside yourself because you don't actually have to, you know, that somebody's looking out for you. Um, and, and I don't, and I don't mean that in like, he's just going to provide the things that you need or that you want. You know, there's a lot of saints who trusted in God's providence and then got martyred. And, right. and so it doesn't always look like a success, but it's an embrace of intimacy that tells you there's something more that that's going on. There's a, I mean, we talk about stories, but there's a bigger story at work here. And this is a crucial part of that story because it's happening right now. Um, and, and I think that's why, you know, I, I tried to explain the planner and the not planner can both do that. You can have somebody who's, who's making plans to the nth degree and still say, you know what? God could do whatever he wants with these. Like, and I trust that even my plans that I'm, I'm creating are part of God's providence. So there's like I just a, a bigger picture of viewing each moment that's only possible if you start with a brace of in, embrace of intimacy that gives you the trust in somebody else so that then you can actually get outside yourself. But but the embrace of intimacy is is radical because that's where the real vulnerability takes place, you know? And so once you're embraced by... So, so that's what I think, I guess, when you get to the core of it. If you have been embraced by the radical, vulnerable love of Christ, I mean, look at him on the cross, and, and you give that seven-second hug, and... And then you can you can step back and look at the world and do the same thing as Christ to other people, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, and just I'll throw it. You said the, the seven-second hug there. So, you, Mike, you outed us that we had talked about this before. Um, I know, anyway, I know. That's okay. But... Um, or at least the like the movement of this of this book, but that was Connor to Wait, fill you, guys, you in. You guys talk without me, huh? No, <laughs> no, dude. It was, what? <laughs> it was once. Okay, what did you, what did you think I said? <laughs> <laughs> Your internet was down, yeah, or something. No, it's well. She. This is why I don't put myself out there. This is why I don't like just let down my boundaries and and let people (laughs) in because they do this to me. Yeah. (laughs) What? 
huh? <laughs> hey, Mike, could you get me another cup of coffee? Yeah, sorry. Oh, <laughs> you guys are together? <laughs> <laughs> what? No. What? Uh, no, we're actually not together. But anyway, <laughs> the uh, it start, she starts this book. And yeah, it's this story. And this, this guy is leaving the community after two years, like at, in a healthy place. Um, and she tells him that he has to go, you know, she, the first thing he has to do is he has to go find his mom or her dad. And he has to give, like run into their arms and give them a hug. And she tells him, like, count to seven once you do that. Count to seven. And they'll try to pull away before you get to seven and hug them even tighter. And then once you get to seven, step back and look into their eyes and you'll both be crying and whatever needs to be forgiven will be forgiven. Like after hmm. this experience in the community. And if you do that, then like that's what will happen. And it's similar to that point of, gosh, I have that like, I have no idea if that would there's like truth to that, but I have, I've never done it either. And it's like, no, you know, that's like, it, it sounds crazy. But then you think about something like that and you're like, what if you actually did that? Like what would happen in you and the other person? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the type of movements that I've had going like with this, with this book. I totally agree with your stuff, Mets. And I think that's like, that's how I read her. And I think a lot of saints, honestly, is like, yeah, no, there's nothing like whether you're a planner or not a planner or whatever, like this is an interior thing for like, for you to be able to, to live out. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's nothing like nothing negative with planners. Good Lord, I would die. You know, I can't. <laughs> um, but I do think there's just something, yeah, um, something there in in all of that. But even that story, and I don't know, we don't have to talk about that or anything because I don't I don't know what else to say on it. But like the seven second hug. All right. So just to and be like, clear, that she would tell the drug addicts to go hug their parents for seven seconds. Yeah. Yeah. After two years of recovery and living in the community. Right, right, right. So like this, this person is like, she's just really, really big on um, reconciliation in the family and Mm. like realizes how hard that is. And so like this guy had been there for two years, like living this very, very intense and life like with the community, um, you know, would have been clean, you know, for, for that long or a long time. And and all of that. And that was like when he left, when he kind of discerned that it was his time to leave the community, go back into the world. That's the first thing that she told him um, to do. Hmm. And I, I get, I get it, man. Like how kind of basic that sounds, but it's like, I don't, then you just, you take, you step back and you think about it and you're like, what, what would happen if you did that? Yeah. I don't know. I, I was praying with that last night and the image that came to mind which it was really strong on the most recent eight day that I did was, I mean, that just kind of, that looks like the prodigal son, like that, that painting Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son, like there's that embrace. And 
I mean, I think that's exactly what happened. I think that's exactly what happens. Um, and if, if you experience that with the Lord, then you can do that with other people, you know? Um, and I, I got a, I got a cool story about this community and then I got to go, I got to celebrate, um, masses here in a little bit. Um, if that's all right with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Drop it like it's hot. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I have y'all's permission to celebrate mass for my people. Yeah. And tell the story. Oh yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay. So there were quite a few people that, um, that I I've known who have come in and out of these communities. There's, I think there's two in the Southeast. Um, yeah, there's one over in Italy and they're all over the place. Like you said, Rob, and I've had a a couple of family friends who've had people or or relatives or, you know, children who have gone through those things. And one of them was a school friend, a friend from, from high school, just a family connection. Um, and it was a young lady who, who went down to one of these communities and, um, had, had a, had had a tough time and, and started to experience some healing and recovery once she got into this community. But Rob, like you were saying, the, the desire of mother Elvira to reconcile the whole family and to bring conversion for the whole family she does really intense stuff. Like she has these families, um, come and, and actually meet together and, and pray together and kind of like do, uh, talking through these things as a group together. But she actually also asked that they all pray together. And what one of, um, one of my buddies did who his sister, this, this gal was in the Chinaco community in Italy. He found out the time that she would pray her holy hour every day and they would pray it as a community and and they would pray the same time every day. But he was, um, you know, he was obviously in a totally different time zone. She was in Italy and he was in Georgia. And so he figured out whatever time that was. And and once a week in the middle of the night would hop out of his house and would go and, um, pray at, there was like a, a chapel that had 24 seven adoration. And in the middle of the night would go and and pray his holy hour at the same time, his sister was praying her holy hour over in Italy, um, just so that they could be together in prayer. And so it was something that really did transform the family. And I don't even think the parents knew about it for the longest time. Um, he'd sneak out. It's like some blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasati stuff. Mm. He'd sneak out so that he could pray with his sister and really be like support her in that way through the reality of the, the supernatural communion of Christ there. Um, yeah. And I just thought, and he's just a normal guy. He's just like a regular Joe, but there was something about his sister going through that, that pulled this desire out of him and, uh, that the Lord had used to, to start to transform his life and his family's life and his sister's life. And, yeah, it's it's amazing stuff like that. Like a lot of really cool stories similar to that 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 surface. So um, I bought the book yesterday. Nice. Nice mm-hmm. dude. Embracing God's love. The merciful embrace of God's love. God's embracing mercy. By Sister Elvita. Embracing God <laughs> mercifully. <laughs> 
I think that was my first go at it. <laughs> Isn't God so lucky? I'm just embracing him mercifully. <laughs> well, I did. When you were talking about the seven second hug, I was thinking, okay, what would you? It's almost like it would be a good penance uh, in confession. It's like, go, go hug God for seven seconds in your imagination. But then is God the one that's pushing away or am I the one that's pushing away? That's mm. having to keep it going for seven seconds. And maybe that's not mm. even a valuable question, but I do think I was imagining when you guys were talking, hugging someone for seven seconds and that counting in your head. And that would be kind of a long time, especially with all the social distancing thing. I mean, you'd yeah. be worried about all that. So dude, we're, there's, there's something really simple but beautiful about it. Yeah, it's really good. You gotta, you gotta hug it out, bro. Hug it out, brothers. Don't shake hands. Brothers, brothers gotta hug. hug. Brothers <laughs> gotta hug, dude. I, I, again, that's one of those things. Like you said, Rob, it's so simple, and I think because it's the the theory of it is so simple, or I don't even know what you would call it, that it's easy to dismiss. But if it's you so actually applied it, yeah. Hug it out, bro. I do that. I do that a lot. And it's like, okay, cool. Like nice, you know, nice image. Cool, cool story, Pope Francis, but I'm a <laughs> spiritual master. Okay. Like this, give me the cool tough story, stuff. bro. All right. Yeah. Did yeah. I tell you about the, in high school, I had a friend, Dan, who would, um, if you were like hanging out and somebody started a story and then it just kind of trailed off. You know, that happens when you're talking with your friends. You're like, oh, I have a story. And then it doesn't really have a point, And everybody just kind of stares at each other. He would just in the silence go, cool story, Connor. Tell it again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that kind of describes some of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, say hey, hey, virtual hugs for you guys through the internet. All right, let's, hold, let's hold it for seven seconds. Ready? This is okay. Squeeze it tight. I'm out. That was three, and that's all I can do. No, hold no. on, dude. Oh, oh. This is a virtual hug. We're not wearing masks. <laughs> all right. All right, we're done. Dude, that felt pretty weird. I don't yeah. know if I can do that. I do forgive you, though. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.